welcome to another episode of the Heck Yeah Comics Podcast with your hosts, David and Nick. In this episode, we get back to basics with Wonder Woman, take a trip to Wakanda, make some moonshine with Azarello and Riso, take the Seven to Eternity with Remender and Opeña, and more. I was just poised to like turn off the theme song instead of turn it down. So it just been a very like abrupt cut. Which would have been a little awkward. And we don't want awkward with these listeners. They expect professionalism. And that's it. That's all I know. Oh, this is awkward. So how do I keep <laughs> going from what this? Have we, what have we done? Uh, so I was walking out of improv on Tuesday. And it's, Nerd! Right. And it's kind of become uh, – well, I was actually just watching an episode of Bob's Burgers where it's like uh, – I can't remember what the line was. But it was like the only one who loses an improv is the audience. And I was like, oh – I do improv, but uh, it's become like a topic of conversation. The fact that I have a podcast, like people are kind of like amazed by it. It's just really funny because like, it's not, I mean, I guess we have been dedicated. We're almost at episode 100, uh, but I feel like it's just so natural for us. Like this is the stuff we talk about anyway. Like we might as well just record it. Um, but people like, like to think we have something interesting to say. Right, right. People like are very impressed with our dedication and like, oh, the fact that it's about comics and like people don't really know about comics. Like normies don't know. Oh, they're uh, still publishing those. Exactly. Uh, but this one guy I was talking to is like, so do you? I mean, I don't know what he thinks podcasts are, but he was like, do you guys like write it all week and then you just like record it on one night? And I'm like, wait, 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 what? It's like, yeah, are you guys like writing it? It's like, well, no, we just we just talk. Oh, man. It would probably make it for a better show if we actually wrote out the stuff we were going to talk about. Oh, no. We wouldn't have some great moments like that uh, that memorable time that that, uh, was... that we reunite, reunited you with your estranged father on air. Or uh, or that time that I I gave my kidney to uh, to a needy kidneyless Orphan person. Child. <laughs> that was better than I was just like somebody without a kidney. I thought you were in improv, David. I'm not I haven't warmed up, okay. <laughs> Do re mi fa so la let's go. Um hey yo. So that's I mean that's cool. Anna likes to she's always like like I'm always so proud that you do the podcast. I tell everyone I'm like you're telling everyone. <laughs> Like, I like to be in control of who knows. See, see, it's like, it's funny for us because it's like, yeah, it's cool. We want people to listen to it. But as soon as we find out people know, we're like, no, don't, I, don't know I do this. It's like, it's like, no, like I enjoy doing the show, but like, and obviously we want more people to know, but like, I feel like we, we haven't like crossed that line where we like the show just becomes like Ubiquitous. the show right it's, it really is just the two of us talking and, and spitballing and having fun and having discussions um so i'm just kind of like do people really want to care about me like talking for a couple hours with my friend <laughs> well <laughs> and it's, it's not even just like it's not even just like us talking if we were talking about like general stuff that's one thing but we're so specific and we you and i don't know a lot of people outside of each other that are really into comics 
And so it's like it's for our immediate circles to be like, oh yeah, I'm gonna listen to it. It's like you're gonna hate it, <laughs> like because I'm gonna start talking, like I'm gonna start talking very in depth about Sorrentino's art for like 20 minutes, and everybody's gonna be to, like, you just have to like it. Yeah, it's like they're like what, like you know, you know. Oh. Actually, Sorrentino's uh, panel layouts in this latest Old Man Logan were quite impressive. Quite impressive. I think I missed the previous issue. That the one before it was with um, uh, Katie, Kate Bishop, right? Katie, Katie Hawkeye. Yeah. Yeah, Lady Lady Hawkeye. She Hawkeye. She she Shaka. a hot guy. Shockeye. Shockeye. She I. Nah. The she I and she Hulk team up. Um, it's not working. Well, well, it's a work in progress. Yeah, but I'm always like reading books in between work, and I like something will happen. I'll be like. My coworkers don't care as much as I do. I, know. I have to text someone. Uh, it's the and worst. It's, and that, that someone is me, pretty yes. much. Always. Yeah. Uh, man, hey, before we start digging into stuff, you went and saw Batman v Superman again. You're one of the only people that saw Batman v Superman again because it had a massive drop-off in its second week. It did, week. but I was reading reports that the, the majority of the people that contributed to its second weekend were people that were seeing it again. Yeah, no, and that's and that's really interesting. And and if you look like I think it was like a sixty, it was above sixty five percent, which is pretty big. But that's it's not actually that uncommon. It's not mm -hmm. super common. But uh, Age of Ultron had a giant drop off in its second week. Um, I can't remember. Like, there's other movies that like were like were pretty big that have had bigger drop offs. But anyway, you saw it a second time. Uh, how how was it now that you knew what to expect? Now now that I knew what to expect, and also for context, the first time I saw I saw on a big ass IMAX screen with like sheet sit, sheet sheet seat shaking sound, and uh, this time around I saw it in a comfortable reclining seat and I'm on a much smaller screen. I mean, large, but but not like IMAX or anything crazy. Um, and I honestly have to say I. I, IMAX is usually my go-to, and I, I guess visually on IMAX, it was great. You know, it's a, it's a hit-you-in-your-face experience, but the sound, I thought, was a lot better on this, this smaller screen setup mm. than it was on IMAX. I think in IMAX, it was too overwhelming. Like, I always complained about, like, the scene of Batman on the crane, like, and there was this epic music playing, and IMAX were like, da -da 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 -da. Right. But but in the smaller theater, I was like, all right, music is playing. Yeah, like, like yeah. Not, that, not too epic. In, in, our, in our theater, well, I didn't see it on a big IMAX because we don't have an actual IMAX here. We have the faux IMAX. And it was like... Fomax. Fomax. And I heard like people who saw it like in IMAX were just like, it was really loud and like a, kind of assaulting you with sound. But for me, I was like, no, it was it was fine. Yeah, so the having the smaller screen, uh, I definitely enjoyed it on the screen. It almost like makes me not want... Like, if I could turn the sound down IMAX, I would still want to go. But also like I wish IMAX would just install or uh, implement uh, assigned seating. But this isn't about IMAX and the things I can bring to make it better. Um, yeah, that's next week's episode. <laughs> the, the short version is I liked the movie a lot better the second time. It still has problems. There's things, you know, like I get accused of nitpicking on Days of Future Past. There's plenty of things about this movie to nitpick. There's plenty of things this movie could have done better or differently. But as an overall experience, I felt like the scene transitions just felt smoother this time. Obviously, nothing changed between my two viewings, right. like narratively speaking or scene transitioning speaking. <laughs> but 
I think now that I knew what to expect, I, it was, I felt there was a much better flow going through the scenes. Like the Wonder Woman one was still a little awkward. It was still a little bit choppy in the beginning, but you, you kind of see like, for the most part, how the progression goes. And a lot of it is like, at the end of the day, this movie passed through so many, and I guess I, that, I feel like you could use that excuse to uh, write off any bad movie, but this movie really has gone through so many hands before reaching completion. Mm-hmm. And so if you have um, arguments like the, the nightmare scene, you know, feels really out of place. Like one of the producers was just like, I don't think he actually fell asleep. I think like he was just staring at the screen and then boom, it went there. It was an artistic choice that not everyone liked. Right. It doesn't say make it a bad movie. It just simply didn't work for you. You know, yeah. and I, I probably could have still done without the scene in the movie, but understanding like it was their intentions. They did this on purpose and going through it a second time. Um, it didn't feel, I mean, obviously I expected it this time. I knew when it was going to come up. I, I definitely didn't feel jarring. So I think this is a movie that might require additional viewings. You know, if you're not like morally opposed to it, it with additional viewings, I think you can, um, it's a smoother experience. You'll find a deeper appreciation for it. Uh, and now that like, you know what to expect with like, the action scenes, like everything kind of slows down in your mind and you kind of, you just get the appreciation of the, the choreography and how things, mm-hmm. you know, pan out. Like the fight scene with, you know, one thing you notice is like the fight scene in the nightmare scene is kind of choreographed. Like it's noticeably choreographed. Whereas like his fight scene in the warehouse seems a lot more smoother and like you're just like, well, oh my yeah. god, I can't believe he did that. And then of course the doomsday fight is just, you know, out of this world. <laughs> I part of me feels like I still liked the um either the Smallville scene or the 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 Zod fight scene in, in Man of Steel over this doomsday fight, but obviously it's hard to ignore just Wonder Woman and that smirk she gets when she gets mm-hmm. thrown back and just like she's loving this. Oh man. That's and that and that was uh that was improvised by by Miss Gal Gadot. Yep, I'm I'm cool with that. I guess, narratively speaking, there there were weak points. I feel like, you know, that there's obviously there's a reason that she ignored man's like the world for about a hundred years before mm-hmm. coming back for this. I thought I feel like I mean obviously Doomsday like the only person you're fighting against is Superman, and I'm not sure where she was during the events of Man of Steel. But, like, she couldn't get there in time. Like, apparently she was local to, during this skirmish. But well, I feel like... Well, it, it seemed like she came for the picture in this... Yeah, in this yeah. Movie. So she could have been anywhere in the world and just not known well, about probably the, on, probably the, on Themyscira. the Kryptonian fight. Could have been on Themyscira, could have been somewhere, and just was never going to get there in time. Or maybe she tried to get there, but the conflict ended before yeah. she could do anything. Um, but it did feel like... like they were teasing her and then she came up. I felt like we all knew she was coming. It's not like this was a big secret and she was going to hop out like oh, that person's Wonder Woman. So I feel like right. they could have somehow made her inclusion to movie stronger. Like it's not that it was bad. It just could have been a stronger narrative connection to the mm-hmm. overall plot other than I'm looking for this photo. Oh, well, this is happening. I should go partake in this. And I guess I'm back fighting for man's world again. Um, you know, but. Yeah, not like a full-on criticism, just something that if I guess if I was in control, I would have tried to make her inclusion to the narrative more. No, no, I, I had a slightly different take. I, I had a different take on that. I didn't feel like it was as thrown in as you, you are suggesting. No, I'm I, not saying it's thrown in. I'm just saying it could have been stronger. I would <laughs> the, oh, like the lead up to it. I would like to apologize uh, for the coughing that I'm going to be doing throughout this episode. I do not have a cough switch, unfortunately. 
but the weather here has been terrible, and I've been kind of sick, so I just have this very acute, non-stop cough that I uh, can't control. It is taking over me, and I imagine that I will soon be the cough's host and doing its bidding upon this world before long. And that ends my uh, follow-up review of Batman v Superman. Cool. Yeah. No, I, I just liked it better the second time. It was a smoother experience, and I encourage people to try <laughs> and uh, give it a second shot if you're not just like morally opposed to everything that Snyder and company were trying to achieve. I, I know they're not going to do this. Uh, I really wish. I think. I think they would do them a really good service if they did. If they uh, put it on streaming really fast, like. You know, let it hit Blu-ray and all that, but like maybe like a couple of weeks or like a month after, if they put it on streaming, I feel like it would get a lot of attention and get a lot more people to come back to it. Mm-hmm. But obviously, there—I mean, it might get on HBO Go, but that'll be about it. Yeah, I mean, I think <clears throat> there are a lot of people that walked away from Man of Steel not enjoying the direction that DC was taking with their movies, and Batman v Superman <laughs> didn't do a whole lot to. You know, if, if, if you zagging. if you already had issues with it, then the BVS kind of uh, reaffirmed that for a lot of people. Yeah, and and again, like if, if that's your beef, like that's that's totally cool. Like you can't, you're not going to enjoy everything. We don't enjoy every comic, song, or TV show. It's not going to be for everyone. Speaking of not enjoying every TV show, I'm going to use this as a time to launch into something here, Nick. Now, I'm not including this in the regular discussion of of what happened this week, because I still am not caught up on this show, but I still feel compelled to talk about it here. And that is the Walking Dead season finale. Like I said, I have not seen it. I'm still a couple episodes behind, but uh, where this episode got to is right where I got to in the comics, so I didn't feel too bad kind of reading up on what was happening, because they had advertised very strongly someone is going to die. And I knew who was going to kill them, the manner in which they were going to die, and so I wanted to know, was it going to stay true to the comics, or were they going to change it up? And for those who haven't seen it, uh, someone proceeds to get killed, and and I'm like so angry about it. Uh, in all of their wisdom, the executive producers and the people behind AMC decided we're not going to show who we killed. We're going to have you for months and months be wondering who just died. That, and I apologize for my language here, is complete and utter bullshit. AMC, oh, okay, The Walking Dead has been manipulating their fan base for a very, very long time, since season two of, is this person dead? Are they still around somewhere? And people have been giving them such a wide berth. You know, when when they were looking for Sophia for so long, people, you know, didn't like how long that dragged on and got really annoying. And, uh, and then they got into some really weird crap with the governor. They just dragged on and was really annoying. And then... They try to convince us that, is Glenn dead? Is Glenn not dead? Well, we're not going to tell you for several episodes. And you know what? Everybody got really pissed when that happened. And now they have decided, hey, we're not going to tell you who died. 
we're going to have you speculate and because now you're going to have all this anticipation that people you love might be dead. You know what would have been a stronger ending if they had shown us who got killed, showed everybody reacting to that moment, and then ended the episode. Because now we're left with this pit of hopelessness inside of us. Instead, now we're just angry that we're being dragged around and they're trying to make us feel all these different ways and it's stupid and they need to stop it. Stop it. So you're saying a show that is attempting to elicit emotional response from its viewers? No, no, no. They're not they're not trying to elicit emotional responses. They're manipulating us at this point. And like and I think that's different than eliciting an emotional response. I just feel like a manipulation is the wrong word when like whether they you they show you that they killed someone but they don't show you who or they show you who they killed either way you're upset they just creatively chose to go with a different upset see i i can't use the word cre- well i guess i could use the word creatively but i can't use it in the sense of that it was a good choice because i'm not alone like people are very upset about this it and because everybody feels cheated Why Why not show us who died? It doesn't make sense. It would have been a much stronger moment. Because now, like, the death... Now, like, we're all betting on who died. And it's like, who's going to be right and who's going to be wrong? It's not going to just be, like, the emotion of it purely. That's well, stupid. But at the same time, I mean... I Don't get me wrong. I don't, I don't want, I'm not trying to play devil's advocate. Yes, but you I'm are. clearly playing devil's yes, advocate. But, like, the show, if they were just writing, like, crafting this show without any kind of repercussions or any kind of bigger picture in mind, they could have done it any number of ways. But in this well, case, but like... The, but they... but they Okay, sorry, go ahead. But part of it is, like, that the, the show is incredibly popular. Despite any negative reactions it seems to get, it's still incredibly popular. And ratings, they right? want to keep that going. So... And ultimately, that means getting people to come back to the next season. But so, you, unless, you, who know? I, I don't know who. Like, I, I, I know what, like what happens in the comics. I'm not sure who's in the room when Negan kills the person that he kills. Um, but obviously, like they're saying, it's someone beloved or whatever. Um, so imagine like they kill Daryl, or they actually do go with killing Glenn. Like, Glenn got killed in the comics. That hasn't really slowed it down. But obviously, it's different when you're watching a show and there's this... I don't know. It's it's different. I, you know? I will be very curious to see the numbers because the, in the way that... I, okay, the way that I'm saying manipulate... Like, they're trying to manipulate us to come back, not based on the strength of the story. They're trying to manipulate us with, oh, if you want to find out who died, come back next season. Like, if you want to find out if Glenn's alive... Keep watching for several episodes. Didn't season five of Lost end with you not knowing whether or not Juliet dies and then she dies um, at the beginning of the next season? I I'm mean, like she was, 95% She sure. was ground zero for a nuclear explosion. I think we all had assumed she was just dead. So Spo- was everyone else. Spoiler alert for the uh, season of Lost, everybody, uh, season five. It was probably ten years ago now. Let's find out. Lost but, I, but I mean, everyone was at ground zero of the explosion. She was like super ground zero. Yeah, but I mean, to the point where she still but had they, a body when they returned to the present the but next like they, they, Okay, but they had like built it up that this is Juliet's death. Uh, 2009. Didn't, so. 
Huh? Yes. Build up in that okay. episode, she falls down the hole or whatever. She's it wasn't like, like built she, up. It's not like well, Charlie. No, no, no. I'm saying, I'm saying like he's I'm, all season. He's I'm saying die. like in well, yeah, like in that moment, her body was being dragged down a giant shaft, uh, to which then she was going to be next to an explosion. Like I, I, I was pretty big. In, we all, all kind of accepted that hey, Juliet died to do whatever happened in like with that explosion and we you know there was kind of like some talk of like did everybody else make it out alive did they create an elaborate strange purgatory uh and you know we got our answers in the next season but i i'm saying it wasn't the same of like come come to find out if juliet is still alive and even if it is that's better than come to find out who just got killed after a 10 minute monologue because that's what happened negan came on screen talked for 10 minutes and then killed someone that we don't get to see. And I'm just saying, it would have been much stronger. People would have felt... It would have been a more emotionally satisfying in a messed up way. Conclusion to see who it was. Instead of being like, you want to know? Come back in eight months. And like, the cast and crew all know who died. Hmm. I feel hmm. like you're not on my side here, Nick. It's not that I'm on your side. I guess because I'm still a few seasons behind and I'm not as emotionally invested in it. I just, it's fine. I'm finding it hard to care. But I guess at this point, now that I, I, I see, I'll and, probably and, be able to catch up before next season starts. And like I, I said, I, I'm not super like invested. If like everybody, <laughs> no, going. I'm, I'm, like the storyteller inside of me is angry with the way that they're abusing their audience. That's good. That's a better word. They're abusing us emotionally. In a way that Lost did, I'm feeling the but I was more I was more connected to the characters. And to be fair, none of the characters were written in Lost as wildly as Rick has been written. Because depending on who's writing Rick each episode, he's either going to be really quiet and, and you know really concerned about Coral, or he's going to be scream whispering. Because he only has two volumes, and that is whisper or scream whisper, and like hating everybody and threatening to kill people. The writing of Rick has been insane, but we've been harping on this for a while. We can move forward. We can move on. Coral. 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 Uh, to the Batmobile. Let's go. Let's let's talk about some things we liked. Comic books. Comic books. Yeah. Well, uh, David, because hmm. uh, I'm getting this vibe that you're feeling really passionate right now. Why don't you dig into Wonder Woman Earth One, which apparently my shop, I just did not, I looked for it, I just did not see it. Uh, tell me about it. All right, Wonder Woman Earth One came out today. Uh, very nearly vaporware. Uh, Nick, you know what vaporware is? Uh, the cigarette thing? No, vaporware in, in video game terms is, a, is something that goes into, well, it's a software thing, I guess. It's something that's in development for so long that like it's just never going to come out. But every once in a while, someone comes out and is like, "No, we're still thinking about it." So it's just, like development hell. Yeah, it's something that like that's that's how a lot of Earth One books feel to me. Is like uh, it's coming out in twenty. But we actually got our hands today on Wonder Woman Earth One, uh, written by Grant Morrison and art by. I can never pronounce their name. It's uh, Yannick Paquette. Yannick Paquette, uh, and I imagine colors by Nathan Fairbairn. Bairn. Bain. Bairn. Bairn. It's F A I R B A I R N. 
neither here nor there. Uh, so for those unfamiliar with the Earth One books, it is sort of DC's answer to the Ultimate Universe, uh, but instead of having a bunch of series going on, so like basically the heroes are younger, or it's like new fresh takes on their origins, uh, and then they exist in this world where things are different. Uh, but unlike Marvel, who was like, all right, so here's uh, Ultimate Spider-Man, Ultimate X-Men, uh, Ultimate Fantastic Four, Ultimate Ultimates, blah, 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 blah. Mm -hmm. DC's like, okay, uh, at least once a year, or when it started, it was every couple of years, here's Superman, Earth-1, Volume-1, then Batman, Earth-1, Volume-1. Uh, now we've had Teen Titans, Volume-1, and now with this, we're at Wonder Woman. So it's been going on for several years, and at first I was really frustrated with this method, it was like it's. I felt like I felt like it was just gonna die off really fast. That we were gonna get the first volumes of Batman, Superman, and then uh, that was kind of gonna be it. But they've kept it going, and I'm really excited about that. Uh, and now we get our introduction of Wonder Woman, and this book is the trial of Diana. Uh, well, when it opens up, we see the origin of the Amazons which I guess is actually very closely related to their original origin from back in the Wonder Woman's from, what, the 30s? Now I have to look up the deck. It's unimportant. Uh, from back in the time, back back in the day, uh, it starts with, you know, the Amazonians were being imprisoned by Hercules and his men, and then Hippolyta turns things around gets her women out of Im imprisonment, and they go and live on Paradise Island for 3,000 years. And this book opens up with Diana, the daughter of Hippolyta, being brought back to Paradise Island after leaving to go on trial for all of the events that she had done uh, and leaving, which is forbidden because she went into man's world. <clears throat> Sorry, needed a drink there. Um... It is a very, very complex book. Uh, I will say, from the art side, the art in this book is amazing. Mm -hmm. um, if you know, if if this, if if art of this caliber is what keeps these books from you know coming out so quickly, uh, I'm actually okay with it because I even felt felt like uh, this artist did the backup story at the end of uh what was it um batman number 50 right last week yeah batman number 50 which i have it right next to me i could just check but and i felt like there it was fine but you could definitely tell it was kind of done a little more of a hurry um <clears throat> it was done to like fill like the request you know like hey we need you to do these few pages bam 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 this feels a lot more like a lot more time was taken. There's very creative layouts. Uh, there's like a lot of care put into this, and there are just pages where like not a lot is happening, but they are just stunning. The level of detail and and it's it's so great. So it's it's worth it uh, for the price of admission on visuals alone. When it comes to the story and the writing, I mean, first of all, it's Grant Morrison. So it's going to get high concept. Uh, but also with superhero books, Grant Morrison likes to go back to the beginning. likes mm -hmm. to go back to the roots. And mm -hmm. actually, when I read this, I then went and read an interview with him that came out a day or two ago about this book. 
and it really put some new things or some things like a new light for me mm-hmm. um talking about uh like the original creators or the original creator whose name i can't really remember at this time i know you know it off the top of your head there nick mm-hmm. william moulton marston oh crap yeah yeah, he was right. into some weird stuff. Well, yeah, yeah. And so this book definitely has those things. And, and for those who don't know, Wonder Woman's original incarnation in the first few issues was very different than the Wonder Woman we have today uh, because her creator was into some very interesting like BDSM psychology stuff. He was in a polyamorous relationship too. He was, yeah. Yeah. Uh, and so that stuff was very evident. Like Wonder Woman was constantly getting tied up or finding herself in some very risque positions. Mm-hmm. Um, even like, like for for then that were very extreme. Like Grant Morrison was saying, it's it's stuff you know that we, we don't even see in comics today. Like definitely not in mainstream comics anyway. Um, and that's the ideology that Grant Morrison is kind of starting off with. Uh, so it, it really is very interesting from a historical standpoint. Um, it's not going to be for everyone. So like the, the BDSM elements are there, but it's approached very respectfully. And it's very interesting um, because, you know, I'm not someone that knows like a ton about BDSM relationships uh, except for whatever, you know, CSI taught me uh, from that one episode where somebody got killed while they were all tied up in leather handcuffs. Um, and you know, there's kind of a preconceived notion of it in our society, especially for people who are, aren't into that sort of thing. Um, and this is like, it's coming from a place where there's so much respect and, and trust in partners. Uh, like there's a part in this where she asks Steve Trevor, um, like, cause she respects him and is trying to thank him. Hold on. I got like, I got to look at it because it's, it's, I want to make sure I'm not interpreting this incorrectly because <laughs> that wouldn't be cool. Oh, Steve Trevor's black now. Uh, oh, I heard, I heard he was, he's going to be uh, African-American in the book. Yeah. Which is like, it's actually kind of cool when Grant Morrison, they asked him why uh, he said, because he always actually thought Steve Trevor was really boring. Like, you know, very 1950s soda shop kind of kid. Yeah. And wanted to make it. A little more interesting. Um, okay. All right. So they're in a hotel room together after, you know, like the government is very curious. Like wants to talk to her. Uh, they're talking. And he says, I never really got the chance to thank you for saving my life. And she says, so you can thank me now. To save a life, uh, to save a life is to be tied to that life. Know that I will take care of you and keep you from harm, but first, you must be willing to submit to loving authority. And she's presenting him with a collar, like a spiked collar, uh, and says, Kneel, for we are bound. And he doesn't really understand that, and it, you know, kind of, uh, it kind of jumps from that scene. We can kind of infer that things didn't really go the way. Um, but then in the next scene, she's saying, I don't understand to bow before a loving authority is to show strength. So they're coming at, at these ideas of submission and dominance from a very genuine place in a way to not just make it sexual in nature or to say that it gets really kind of beyond that. Um, 
so it's really like really interesting, really complex relationally. Uh, yes. And then there's also, so there's this classic Wonder Woman character that I didn't know about named Etta Candy. Uh, that Grant Morrison has in this book renamed to Beth because he, you know, it's, it's one of those old names, like how in, in James Bond movies, there's girls like Pussy Galore. And it's like, it's just like these really ridiculous names. I feel so, like Etta Candy's that wonky. Well, no. It's not, a, it's not a common present day name, but still. Well, but she's also supposed to be a heavier girl. And it, he just felt like it was very on the nose and a little too much for him. So he renamed her Beth. Beth Candy. Beth Candy. Uh, okay. Okay. So, so her character is that she is this like you know a little bit more of an overweight sorority girl, and she's with her sorority sisters, and they encounter Wonder Woman and kind of take her in, um, and she really rides that line of comedic relief and obnoxious sidekick to the point where for me she falls on the obnoxious sidekick part a lot and then i found out that uh grant morrison was basing her off of rebel wilson who rebel wilson has really kind of fallen into the obnoxious sidekick for me in most of the movies that she's in so that might actually explain uh that part so i get why he but going back to the history why he brought that character in but for me, she didn't add a lot and actually detracted from parts of the stories, which were very unfortunate. Mm-hmm. Uh, like there's this part when things are looking really bad and uh, like, you know, maybe it's a really good idea for humans not to be around right now. And they like jump in. And they're like, we've got Wonder Woman's back, blah, blah, blah. It's like, no, it'd be a lot better for you to be anywhere but in this fight right now. Speaking of fighting. There's very little action in this book. Um, And again, this came from like the Grant Morrison interview where he was saying that these Wonder Woman originally was very peaceful. She wasn't very aggressive. You know, she has her bracers that can deflect weapons and she has her lasso of truth. These are items of peace. They are not weapons of war. And so there's not really a third act. There's not really any action that happens. It's a, it's a very, strange story structure where I'm not really sure what the climax is. And then the falling action is kind of all throughout the book because it's, you know, it's being told from after everything happens. So it's good. It is a good book, but it's not a very easy one to recommend to people. And it would have to be very, like very specific people that I would go recommend this too mm-hmm. so if you're very interested in in wonder woman well in current incarnations of wonder woman i don't know how you would react to this but if you're very curious about what she was like back in the day this would mm-hmm. be a really good uh really good book for that if you're a grant morrison fan obviously i'm gonna say go for it uh the art makes me want to recommend it to everyone but then i know not everyone's gonna love it so it's ah oh man, I, I still don't know where I fall on this book as far as how to present it to people and to the world. Uh, read a lot of comic books and then go read it. Yeah, so read comic books for years and years and years, and then go read it in like fifteen. Read a lot of books on the emergence of feminism in the earliest twentieth well, century. No, and so then... here's the thing, uh, and that's another part of of, of this where. 
Grant Morrison says, like, if you really look at it, they weren't trying to be feminist with the original Wonder Woman comics. Oh no, no. And like, so, 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 yeah, they didn't, they didn't try to push that at all in this, which I thought was, you know, was cool. Uh, that they, like, they just like they're like to that, like, because Wonder Woman now is this, is this kind of pillar of feminism, and like, you know. He could have interpreted all of that into this, but instead he's like, no, we're going to stay really true to the original message, even though for Grant Morrison to say it's weird is weird. Um, <laughs> but yeah, because like, cause, oh, cause the interviewer asked, you know, like, do you feel weird as two men writing this book? And he's like, well, Wonder Woman is originally created by two men, and they weren't trying to push a feminist agenda, so why should we feel weird about it? I don't know. Uh, so go read this interview with Grant Morrison and then read it or read it and then Grant Morrison. You know what? Just uh, just read the book and decide it for yourself. You're an adult. Jeez. Oh, jeez. Ah, jeez. Ah, Nick, why don't you tell me about Black Panther, number one, after all of my talkity talk there. Talkity talk. All right. So Black Panther, number one. It's been a while since we've had a Black Panther series. This mm-hmm. is uh, by uh, Ta-Nehisi Coates. He's uh, won some prestigious awards. I forget what they're called. MacArthur something grant awards. Uh, the MacArthur Genius this, this Grant? This is why your your improv buddy said, like, do you guys spend all week writing it? Because if I actually took notes on this stuff, I wouldn't be like, uh, I think he, he uh, won this sort of thing sometime one wait, time. Wait, like the MacArthur Genius Grant? Oh, yeah, that's what he won. Yeah, oh, no, no big deal. Just him and the guy who wrote Hamilton. Yeah. Yeah, just, you know, like I've heard that's like an important thing. The, yeah, MacArthur Fellowship something. Yeah. Anyway, Tiny Heese Coates, this is his very first comic book, and um, his primary work has been in nonfiction. Um, and uh, as far as a, a writer coming over from another medium into this one, I feel like it's a very smooth transition. I think he really took to the art form and the storytelling style. Uh, it, it is a lot of setup. Um, but, uh, I, it's, it's, what's one thing that's nice, which I, I guess I wasn't expecting is he actually pulls a lot from recent Black Panther history, even stuff that you think that they'd show on the table, like the, the Doom War event from a few years ago. Um, like it, it's kind of all on the table here. Um, but the main crux of the story is that because of all these recent events, Wakanda, a very prideful, seclusive nation, one of the most technologically advanced in the world, uh, has, been humbled by a series of tragic events like Namor flooding them during Avengers, uh, uh, Avengers versus X Men, um, when uh, Doctor Doom tried to take over and do more, um, and then like the incursions and the the stuff that happened with like Thanos invading during Infinity, um, the 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 security they once felt is now gone, and it's just it's a nation in upheaval. It's a nation trying to find its footing. It's literally. Uh, 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 hold on, hold on, wait, uh, wait, hold lots on. Lots of good fully work, lots wait. of flipping It's literally sounds. a nation under our feet, as the title of the story, um, goes. Uh, I don't know if that really worked out, but, um. Calling it a nation under our feet? Yeah, it's, it's, that's the title of the book. Um, so basically it's about T'Challa, the Black Panther, which is the, for those that don't know, it's the royal signifier of the ruling, the, the leader of Wakanda. Um, basically, um, trying to uh, quell unrest in his nation. Uh, it materializes in a few different forms. There are some people from a neighboring nation 
um, um, uh, Nig- Niganda. I don't actually, wow. uh, this might sound bad. I don't know if that's actually supposed to be based off a real nation or if it's another made up one. If um, it is, it's really lazy. <laughs> I don't, Wakanda, Naganda. Um, that, uh, uh, I, I, this person has not been revealed to be an inhuman, but she does have special powers in, as far as bringing out rage in people. I love, uh, I love how often you and I Google stuff in this show. Really, uh, really shows we know our uh, comics. Yeah, the uh, Naganda is a um, <coughs> uh, Marvel country. Uh, nice going, Marvel. Uh, it's probably not be their first time they've appeared, but I'm not going to dig into that too much. Anyway, so oh, uh, there's there's some unrest being sowed uh, via um, some um, insurgents in Naganda, if that's the right term. Um, and then, excuse me, there was this scene. And I'm definitely really curious where this storyline goes. So the the protecting um, class, the the people, the, uh, the the soldiers, so to speak, that protect the Black Panther, like his his royal bodyguards, are called the Dori Milaje. They're all women. They're all expertly trained. They're like deadly killers, like the best of the best of the best. Hmm. Um, so something happens kind of in the background of the story where like one of the best Dora Milaje's, um, I'm probably Dora Milaje. I'm just going to go Dora Milaje. She kills um, a. Uh, a, the head of a tribe who was like hoarding women and like abusing them and all this stuff. Um, and for like, even though like they might not disagree with like the fact that this man may have deserved to be punished. Um, she wasn't in a position to murder him. So she is now being put to death. Um, and then her lover, another Dora Milaje ends up breaking her out and they go on the run and they kind of, there's some discussion about like, um, you know, cause like these are supposed to be like fiercely loyal to the black Panther, whoever the black Panther might be. And they're just like, it's not even almost like they're coming from a position of hate, but just sort of like, I've had a dawning realization that this isn't worth it. And we kind of need to spread that message to the people. Hmm. So I think there's a sign of like they've, they've run away, but they're definitely going to be coming back around into the story. I'm very curious how that's going to develop. Um, so, and then uh, just to not to, I'm not like trying to, do like a, a, a play-by-play uh one character that was it's very important to child his sister was killed in a story leading up to secret wars uh and uh that's going to come into play where apparently t'challa is actually trying to resurrect his sister somehow uh and currently failing so on top of like trying to keep his nation together he's trying to find a way to bring his sister back so there's a lot of elements in play it's, it's very faithful to current events at least comic book current events um, at the same time, trying to tell a story that I think is going to have a lot of pathos, um, a lot of emotion to it. Um, and I, like I said, for first, for a guy's first comp, not like he's like a run of the mill guy off the street. Like he's clearly a good writer, but he took to the medium well. Um, and, uh, at least according to the editor in chief of Marvel, he just gets better and better with each issue. So that has me excited. And then of course there's uh, Brian Stelfreeze's art, which, uh, I've probably read stuff by Brian Stelfreeze. I'm trying to think of what else I may have read from him. But, um, I mean, I, I loved his art in this. Very clear, the storytelling. I mean, that he's been in the industry for a long time, so pairing Ta-Nehisi Coates with him I think was a smart idea. He translated the story well. Um, and, I mean, like, this is this is a book I plan on to, to keep buying. So, um, more or less a recommendation, like, check out the new Black Panther. Very cool. 
yeah, this is a, a series that I'm interested in. Maybe I'll check it out when it's on uh, on Marvel Unlimited. Because there's just, there's just so much other stuff I'm reading and books I'm picking up that I'm not reading that I shouldn't be picking up that it's kind of hard to add a new series to that. But speaking of adding a new series to that, uh, I picked up the other book that Marvel was really pushing this week, and that is Poe Dameron number one. Uh, Mighty Morphin Dammer Rangers. That's how I like to call it in my head. Because Power Rangers also came out this week. Uh, so Poe Dameron, number one, by uh, Charles Soule and Phil Phil Noto? Noto? Phil, Phil Noto. Phil Noto. Met fun, him once, signed a bunch of stuff. It's a fun name to say. So this uh, this book takes place pretty much directly before the events of uh, Force Awakens. So very timely, being released on the same day as Force Awakens on Blu-ray. Oh, by the way, the uh, comic book adaptation of Force Awakens is coming many, many months after the film is released. Neither, neither here nor there. Uh, so for those who haven't seen Force Awakens yet, spoiler alert, it starts with Poe Dameron talking to a guy whose name... Lars Santaka. Lars San... That's Lars Santaka. Lar Lars San... Are you sure it's not Lars San? It is Lars Santaka, you're right. <laughs> ah, Lars Santeca. Teca. Teca. Biblioteca. Yeah, uh, in this issue, you have uh, Princess Leia, or General... I can't remember. General Organa telling Poe that, okay, we need to find Luke... Uh, this guy right here, Lor Santeca, probably knows because he. And we get kind of like an explanation of who he is. Uh, he's an explorer. He's been all over the galaxy, and there's not a sacred site or Jedi ruin he hasn't seen. He's supposed to be dead, but this hollow video intercepted shows him alive and older than the last time I saw him. Which, when I first read that, was a really weird sentence. He's older than the last time I saw him. Like, no shit, people age. But I get now, it's supposed to be like, this is proof he's still alive, because it's older than the last time I saw him. Mm -hmm. uh, anyway. And so she sends him to go find him, and the very obvious uh, conclusion of this book is that he finds him. But I imagine we'll get there in a few issues. Um, but... So, so that's kind of the setup where we're at, and I'm not in love with it because I think Star Wars is such a big, beautiful universe, and the first thing you do is tie it directly to a movie where I already know the end of the story. So for me, that's kind of a turnoff. Uh, that's not to say that this is a bad book, mm -hmm. and and I will kind of continue from there because uh, the first stop is they're trying to find... You know, they're trying to find him, so they go to his last known location, uh, and he ends up going to this very interesting site where there are these people who have this giant egg, and they keep calling it an egg, but it's very vague on what this egg is, uh, what it might do. Is it is it Force-sensitive? It's big and blue and glowy, uh, and these people are protecting it, and one day it'll hatch and, and shine down its radiant egg love upon them. Uh, even though it might be their children's children when that happens. So this is like the kind of stuff in Star Wars that I love. Like I'm saying, there's this big, beautiful universe. I want them to explore it. This is exploring it and bringing us something that's kind of weird. 
uh, kind of dipping more into the fantasy element of it. Mm-hmm. And, and and that totally works. And that's like the eighth time that Nick has dropped his pencil in this uh-huh. podcast. <laughs> um, but that's not going to stop him from tossing it back and forth at all. Uh, so keep I, <laughs> I was going to. You can keep tossing it. I don't care. Uh, I don't care. I don't even care. Uh, so there's elements of the story that I very much like. And of course, there are also then elements that I don't like. Like I said, we already know where this is going to wind up for Poe Dameron. Now, there's also a a cast of supporting characters who I can't really remember uh, which ones we saw in um, in The Force Awakens, if we saw any of them. One I know we saw in the uh, Shattered Empire storyline, which is actually kind of interesting makes me feel like hey maybe i didn't waste my time reading that <laughs> wasn't that this it was the same writer and artist on that wasn't it no greg rucka wrote it with marco uh, conchetto right. why did i think it was the same art charles so has been doing stuff uh, well charles so and marco conchetto are doing the obi-wan and anakin series oh uh, maybe that's why okay uh, maybe maybe just in my head because i haven't read it in a while the art looks similar um i mean they do kind of go where they you know, they have to make everybody look like their their counterparts. Uh, so there's times, actually, where I, f- I feel like uh, that, that kind of does a disservice to the story because, hey, we have to make this look like Oscar Isaac. And so sometimes his head looks really weird or his mm-hmm. face might look a little unnatural because he's, you know, trying to get it as close to this style as possible. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's times where it looks really great. Uh, and, and especially with some of like the side characters, it feels a little more natural. Um, and then uh, General Organa seems a lot younger in this comic than she does in the actual movie, which is amusing to me. Like, oh hey, this is like this is Leia ten years later, not you know thirty. <laughs> um, overall, it, it is a good book. Uh, I might check it out just to see how things wrap up you know, I'll, I'll at least check out the next issue to see if the stranger elements of this or like the you know the the exploration of this story is enough to keep me going mm-hmm. but like i said i'm already very disappointed that i know that this is going to end up with uh poe dameron finding him and then you know the, the, the movie taking off from there so there's people who are going to be way more into that idea than i am uh, and i'm sure there's people who you know long Longtime fans are going to read it and they're going to love knowing every second of every character's life and how it all connects and more power to you. Uh, there's also a, a little story in the back called Sabotage with two B's. Sabotage! By Chris... Oh, God. Chris Elio... Elio... Chris Eliopoulos? Eliopoulos, yeah. Uh, with Jordi Belair on colors. So the colors are fantastic. Uh, this is a very odd little story, um, kind of in a, in a sun, you know, a Sunday morning or, uh, like Sunday paper comic strip style, very akin to like Calvin and Hobbes is kind of what my mind jumps to, of BB-8 realizes, hey, these two people are very interested in each other, but they're not talking to each other. So I'm going to cause a bunch of trouble, uh, that causes them to have to interact and it's a cute little story, and I can see people would probably really like it. Uh, it's it's fun. It's you know, it's it's goofy, but it doesn't 
it's not like so goofy that it detracts from the rest of the stuff that they're trying to do with Star Wars. It's it's just a fun little thing to have tacked on at the end there. Um, but overall, good book. Some people are gonna love it more than others. Love it, as, love it. As with most things. Hmm. Is there anything else that you read that you feel compelled to tell us about? Oh, do I? Um, so I read Empress number one. Don't care. Moving on. I'm just kidding. I forgot to pick that up, actually. Uh, Empress number one by Mark Millar, our favorite, Ooh. and Stuart Amonin, our Your favorite. favorite. <laughs> Uh, I think it's Mark Millar or anything. Um, obviously, you can be a very divisive, divisive, divisive. Yeah, I'm kind of like writer. after Chrononauts. It's like, you know. But then I'll you see, left Huck, so I'll uh, see you in the trade. Yeah, it's well, but that's the thing. I can't take these gambles anymore. I don't know what I'm gonna get. <laughs> we'll, um, we'll talk when Jupiter's Legacy comes out in 2018. Um. Empress. A, a, Empress, yeah. Um, a lot of the, the... the Wow, just everything stopped. <laughs> <laughs> that was a hard... So I was, uh, I was at a, an improv show. Apparently my life revolves around improv lately. And uh, we were... They were having audience members read things off of cards that people had written down for suggestions. And the one I got was, I love ghetto fried chicken. Mm-hmm. But somebody, I think you're supposed to say ghetto, but it was spelled G-U-E-T-T-O instead of like G-H. And when I just saw that, you know, goetto, like my brain just stopped. <laughs> I, I I read the words that like, I love, and then just sat in silence for a minute and leaned to the guy next to me. He was like, what does that say? <laughs> I don't understand words. Um, but, but Empress. Empress number one. <laughs> Um, so high concept, this actually takes place, um, what, six, 65, 65 million years ago. Um, but so it's a, it's a sci-fi tale set 65 million years ago. Hmm. Um, uh, basically there's this advanced civilization. It sounds like they're kind of, I'm using the word squatting. Not, I mean like they're, they're they're on Earth in the time of the dinosaurs, so there's no humans around or anything. Um, so there's all these aliens. Majority of them are humanoid. The wife looks very humanoid, very human, I should say. All everyone looks humanoid. Um, and basically, the the concept of the book is that this is the wife of a despot uh, that's trying to escape with the help of her bodyguard and her children to get out from under his uh, tyrannic rule. Um. Stuff like that's happened in real life. I've seen uh, procedural shows that have dealt with that stuff. So, man, CSI has been informing our lives on so many <laughs> levels today. Uh, I'm trying to think of the show that actually did this. I don't know. Doesn't matter. There's, there's only been um, like three procedural shows in all of TV. So, <laughs> um, so it, it felt cl- cliche at certain points, but I still was like into the story. A big part of that is that, like, Stuart Ramonin is bringing his A game on this. Every page is fun to look at. The colors by Ives, Corsi, Cor, uh, Ives uh, Vorsina. These names, man, are just killing us. Um, 
I just like it's eye popping. Everything about this book just like in your face. It's just it's just there. It's just beautiful, well rendered artwork. Uh, dialogue. I'm reading it and I'm like, like this is Mark Millar, um, which sometimes isn't a bad thing. There's like a, um, where was it? There was a scene. Uh, well, time is not our friend, ma'am. King Morax is expecting you for dinner in 16 minutes. Like, he does that where, like, he mentions, like... And I guess it's it's not a bad thing. This isn't a criticism. Like, like really specific things. Like, I can accomplish this in 10 seconds. You know, like, he, he always does that. He also likes to use huh at the end of, sen- at the end of speech bubbles. Um, not always, like, in the place it needs to. Um, but it's interesting. The, the character design is what make the cake, like... It's really like Amona's doing the heavy lifting here. The writing's not bad by any stretch. Um, the story isn't bad by any stretch. The first issue is really basically the escape. It's the the wife and the kids. Like the story goes from zero to a hundred, and boom, they're out of there. Um, um, but it's really it's, it's the artwork that makes me kind of really get into these. Like there's a, there's a panel of the wife. Uh, her name's Emporia, and I'm, I'm looking at her. I'm like. Like, wow, like I, I'm totally vibing on this character. Same thing with the bodyguard, the kids. Everyone is very, has uh, a lot of expression. Uh, they emote, um, the, 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 um, the suit designs and all that at the ships, everything. Like, he has put his A game into this. That's all I really have to say. The, the book is, um, the, it ends on a, an interesting cliffhanger as far as like where they're going to take the story. It's really that kind of thing where like you, I guess I don't really know where it's going to lead. Obviously, it's probably going to come back around. They're going to have an ultimate confrontation with the husband. But um, the world that's being built, uh, I'm very curious to see it be explored more. Or I'll be curious to see the movie come out next year. Yeah, I was actually just looking to see if Empress's uh, rights have been bought. Because usually it's uh, it's like the day that the first issue comes out. They're like, and here's the movie studio that's making it. One thing I've noticed with Mamar lately is that he seems to kind of look at, like, what are trends in sci-fi? Or he looks at, like, Man of Steel, and he's like, I didn't like that, so I'm going to write the antithesis of that. Which, uh, good for him, I guess. Oh, I know. It's very popular. He makes... Well, and, like, sometimes I think it really works. You know, like, Huck is kind of his antithesis to uh, Man of Steel, and I think that's working. And, you know, his his idea with Empress is that he... um, he thinks, uh, sorry, uh, he thinks that, oh, like, sci-fi has been too grim and gritty. Let's have some fun with Empress. So apparently they were teasing the movie back in March, uh, and you had a mysterious actress wearing a headscarf saying, yes, I'm playing Empress, um, and it's definitely Anne Hathaway, which I think is why I mentioned Anne Hathaway uh, a while ago when we talked about this book. Here's, I figured it out. All right, here's here's what Millar is like for me at this point. Millar is like that guy who, like, I kind of know, and he, like, shows up uh, sometimes and is like, hey, I have, like, a really cool thing to show you. Like, there's a really cool movie or, like, or, like some really cool art somewhere. Uh, and, you know, but he's like, ah, but you're going to have to, like, you know, you're going to have to drive. Like, you're going to have to put some gas money into this, like, to get us there. You're going to have to put in the effort. And I'm like, okay, cool. And I trust him, and I trusted him enough times where now I've seen a grab bag of, like, oh, either that was really cool or, like, that was kind of disappointing. So now I'm, like, waiting for other people to go on trips with him first. 
and have them come back and report to me before I'm going to go fill up the gas tank. I don't know if that analogy works in the slightest, but it's what I'm going with. Respect. Well, very cool. Uh, I know we read some other stuff this week, but we are not going to talk about it. We will... I mean, I'm sure we'll talk about other stuff in the future. I don't know what the... Hey, David, you want to know who died on Arrow? If you if you tell me, I will destroy you. You're, you're in Virginia. What can you do? Uh, find you and destroy you. I can also... I'll, I, will, I will start ruining... Have you even finished Jessica Jones yet? No. Yeah. I really, I, sh- I really should probably do that. Yeah. So if you don't want me to start ruining everything... Shut your dirty mouth. Fine. They were supposed to... Oh, okay. They're revealing the actress in four more hours from now. For Empress? Yeah. <laughs> That's uh, interesting timing. But have you seen... Right for the day of the... Well, t- I mean, but it's today. They said ten hours till it comes off, and that was six hours. Like, have you seen the picture? Yeah, yeah. It's totally Anne Hathaway. It's totally Anne Hathaway, which, hey, I love Anne Hathaway, so... It's the only woman my wife would leave me for. And I don't blame her. Well, I think, uh, man, lots of good, lots of good talk in there. Let's go ahead and, uh, and Nick, do you want, to, you want me to even pretend that I'm going to transition today? Or do you want me to just press the button? Just do it. Spider-Man and his amazing friends. You killed Christmas. <sighs> Well, there's lots of news, lots of good news, which uh, earlier in this week, I was like, we're going to have nothing to talk about on the show, and then Image Expo happened, and other stuff, uh, but first, man, this website's not loading, but uh, somebody got added to the Iron Fist uh, Netflix cast. Jessica Henwick uh, most recently appeared as one of the X-Wing pilots in Star Wars The Force Awakens. Uh, she also had a minor role as one of the Sand Snakes in Game of Thrones this previous season. She has been cast as Colleen Wing, the katana-wielding badass um, from the Iron Fist comics. Uh, she's actually, like, from the first issue, like, the first ever appearance of Iron Fist. Like, she's been there along with him uh-huh. and ultimately goes on to team up with Misty Knight, who's appearing in Luke Cage. So a big part of me is hoping that... Misty Knight and Colleen Wing go on to have some kind of role in Defenders. That way it's not just Jessica Jones. Like, you've got Daredevil, Luke Cage, Iron Fist, but then you've got Jessica Jones, Misty Knight, and Colleen Wing. I think that would be a great way to do it, actually. And that's three for three. So you'll have three male characters and three female characters. So I'll be very curious how this develops anyway. uh, I don't, besides her really minor roles in those two things. I don't know what else she's been in to yeah, judge yeah. her acting chops, but uh, Marvel's has, has a fairly good track record with casting. So I'm just going to say good luck, Jessica. I hope you do a great job. Yeah. I've realized uh, that if I lived in the MCU, I would get out of New York as fast as humanly possible because look at all of the terrible things that have happened. Like first you have, like the the big alien invasion. I was trying to think if any other Marvel movies before that had big things happen in New York. I think Avengers really was the first one set in New York. Well, Avengers was, and then you had the events of Daredevil, and then you had the events of Jessica Jones, and now you have whatever's going to happen in Iron Fist, and then Defenders. It's like it just doesn't doesn't seem worth it at all to live there anymore. 
Yeah. I, don't know. I mean, it doesn't seem worth it to really live uh, in New York currently in the real world, <laughs> mostly because I'm not making a million dollars a year. Yeah, right. Uh, it's only the the poor ears that I guess get get uh, bashed up. But um, yeah, so Colleen Wing in Iron Fist—that's awesome that they're going to have that here. It sounds like they're going to be pretty faithful to the material so far. Fantastic. Next story. So let's just kind of dive into Image Expo. I was going to say, yeah, let's just go ahead and talk about a lot of books were announced. A lot of books tend to be announced at Image yeah. Expo. And uh, we don't really need to go through all of them. A yeah, lot of well, kudos we'll, to all the creative teams that are, you know. I mean, we'll kind of highlight the ones that I would say we're most excited for. Uh, you do have a lot of very interesting stuff coming out. Like you have a new Hickman book coming out. Uh, I mean, I'd, I'm just going through here. There's so many cool. Like Jim Zub has a book. I can't pronounce the other guy's name. Uh, Jibril Morissette Fan. Uh, there's anyway. There's a lot of really really cool stuff. Uh, you can probably find links to it. Uh, the the uh, what is the, the the Batgirl team has moved over there officially since they are no longer doing uh, Batgirl. They are now doing Motor Crush. Motor Crush. Uh, but Nick, why don't you tell me what books from all this you're really looking forward to? Well, I think for those that know me, it's very obvious that I am. Was uh, blindsided and super excited about Rick Remender and Jerome Pena uh, doing Seven to Eternity. No, really, you didn't mention that to me at all today. No, I not once, not not once. I'm scrolling down to get the the what's yeah, it's, it, it's the a, who's it's, a what's it's it. It's a fair way down the page. Except for my computer doesn't want to push. Writer me. Rick Remender oh, oh, reteams his collaborators it. Jerome Opeña and Matt Hollingsworth to bring readers a modern fantasy series following Adam Ositis, a dying knight from a disgraced house, on a mission to rid his world of an insidious god who ensnared him in a Faustian deal. Totally sounds like Remender, and sounds like something that Opeña is just going to bring to life. Looking at the cover so far, it's definitely got that fantasy western vibe a wee bit. Um, so it's just that he's a knight, but he's like wielding a gun. So I'm just kind of curious how this world's going to develop. Uh, and then uh, they actually, I don't know if you noticed, there was a bunch of preview pages for some of the, the series, including Seven to Eternity, um, that were posted and are always, already looks phenomenal. Though, and this may just be because of my very intense study of Opeña's artwork, but there's a scene of the what you see in the cover, that old guy with the, the laser swords, Um there's a scene of him like slashing, like sort of doing like a cross slash against some enemies. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, there is a panel just like that of Deadpool at Uncanny <laughs> X-Force number one doing almost the exact same beat. Well, it might be copied over from... He, he, very well. Uh, I mean, it's a good, you know, it's a good panel. So I guess why not? Uh, I just feel like it's going to be one of those swipe file things where they're like, Jerome Pena, copying Jerome Pena. Um, so... I'm like beyond excited. I'm sad that it's like not coming out until the fall, but I will hopefully still be alive then and we'll be able to read it. So yeah. Awesome. Uh, I'm sure you're excited about this one too. Moonshine. Moonshine is probably, probably my number one uh, book looking at. I mean, there's some really cool ones in here. Motor crush seems interesting. Uh, there's one that I just saw called verses. Uh, did you see that one? Yeah, I was actually the reading the preview for with it. Ivan Brandon well. and Asad Ribic. I'm just seeing like that preview image there. I don't know what that is, but I love it. Um, but Moonshine, yeah, Brian Azzarello and uh, Eduardo Riso. 
uh, teaming up. It is set in the Prohibition era, deep in the backwoods of Appalachia, and tells the story of Lou Perlow, a city slick torpedo sent from New York City to negotiate a deal with the best moonshiner in West Virginia. Uh, and obviously there's more to the story there. It seems like right up my alley, which I love stuff that's kind of set in that era. That's got kind of a noir, uh, feeling to it. Like I really loved, obviously, um, you know, we haven't heard what the next project from, uh, I'm blanking on their names right now. And that's very unfortunate. Uh, criminal fatal, uh, the fade out. What are their names? Ed Brubaker, Ed Brubaker and, and Sean, Sean Phillips. Phillips. We haven't heard the, the next thing from them. I thought that might have been announced at this. I guess it the, was. Was it? Yeah, what? it's uh, Kill or Be Killed. It's on this list. Where, how did I miss that entirely? Uh, yeah, Kill or Be Killed by Ed Brubaker and artist Sean Phillips. Okay. It's the story well, of a troubled young man oh. who is compelled to kill bad people and how he struggles to keep his secret as it slowly begins to ruin his life and the lives of his friends and loved ones. Uh, Both a thriller and a deconstruction of vigilantism, Killer Be Killed is unlike anything Brubaker Phillips have done together in their long partnership. I mean, that's partnership. probably why, like, the image doesn't look like the other stuff that they've done recently. So, like, I'm very excited for that. But Moonshine, Moonshine is what we're talking about here. Uh, really... I mean, you, you slap Azarello on a book and I'm going to dig into it. Uh, and it's, I mean, this, this is right up my alley here. And so is kill or be killed. Yeah. I'm versus looks interesting. I was reading Ivan Brandon's, um, other sci-fi book he's been doing with Nick oh. Klein, the uh, drifter. And he's got a, he, he utilizes dialogue, uh, in an interesting way. Um, I, I wasn't really vibing on it. I can't, like, I want to go back to Drifter and try and, and, and try it again, but I was having troubles penetrating the story, so to speak. Hmm. Uh, and reading through the preview here, I can see a lot of the same, like, um, dialogue ticks that he uses from, from Drifter, but the art obviously with Assad Ribic, you know, coming off of Secret Wars, you know, it, it's, uh, he's definitely, I think he's re-energized. I felt like though his secret word art was very good and very strong in the first few issues. Uh, I think as he was hitting deadlines after deadlines, after deadlines, like it, he definitely put his effort, his, his, his best effort in, but like it, the hard work felt like it, it wasn't as good as it could have been near mm -hmm. the end. And that's saying a lot for Assad Ribic. Uh, and the, in these preview pages, I just sent you over, um, you know, he's, he's back on his a game and it looks really cool. Um, basically the, the conceit of the book for verses is that it's about war. It's about the rise and fall of a uh, soldier, but, uh, this is actually that war is now televised that you actually sit and watch it as a form of entertainment, hmm. uh, in the future. And it's basically, uh, <laughs> basically what it's about. That's all we really know. That's very Tokyo ghost of them. Uh, very cool. I mean, lots of great stuff here. I'm sure my wallet is going to be crying come fall when I add more of these to my pull list than I should. I'm going to lie to myself and say I'm going to get a lot better about adding new books, but I just, I, you know, can't, so can't many do that. Like, I want, it's, it's unfortunate that, you know, obviously it's a business and I respect right. that and books, you know, sometimes really good books don't get enough traction and fall by the wayside. I mean, a number of these, like a number of these are going to fall kind of into the way that wicked and the divine did for me or it's like i'm really interested in that or here that's really cool and eventually i'll start picking it up in trades 
Exactly. Uh, I, I a lot of these books like I part of me like wants to support them by picking up the individual issues, but I feel like with image books, and I don't know why there's this, this there's a difference between like how I want to read my image books and how I want to read Marvel or, or, or DC, uh, mostly Marvel, where like I want to pick it up issue to issue, like I feel compelled to, versus waiting for them to collect. There's like a more of an urgency that like what for the superhero comics, like you need to know what happens before the internet spoils it for you or whatever. Whereas Uh like the internet as a whole doesn't care as much for what's happening in these books. So I feel like I could take my time. I'll let a few issues build up and then read them. But ideally, like I'd love any number of these books that have been announced to kind of sit on my shelf in collected editions. Mm -hmm. Uh, So it's really hard to, and then like you read them and I don't know if it's just because like we've been reading superhero comics for so long that we feel like they are, you know, we don't need to be reintroduced to these characters. We're familiar with Spider-Man, with Batman, so we can pick up wow, just about any a, issue. What, what, was, what was that? Spy- Spider-Man. Spider-Man. Uh, whew. I don't, I don't get it. Is he like? Uh, is he a spider that's also a guy? Yeah, yeah. He's a man of spiders. <laughs> he's made up of a bunch of. Spiders. Literally, like he's the, the the Spider-Man. So I know you're behind on Arrow, but uh, I'm gonna briefly spoil something for you here. It's not really that big of a spoiler. Oh, I'll spoil the death for you then. This isn't. I mean, okay. So the the Bee Lady is back. Oh yeah. Uh, Beth from The Walking Dead, and at one point the bees come together to form a person. Ooh. <laughs> it's like it's like not like a person made like it looks like Yellow Jacket from. Uh, from Ant Man. Yeah, like, like it just looks like a mass of bees. No, it doesn't. It's like it's a person in a costume. <laughs> it is insane. But I was kind of on board with it. <laughs> I mean, in a really stupid way. Yeah, you gotta just go with it. Yeah. Um, That's our um, motto. Oh, like you, we're just like really familiar with these characters, so we can kind of slower it in from issue to issue. Whereas, like these books, like sometimes. Like you need to read them in a big chunk so that like you feel more invested with the characters. Where yeah. if you pick up one issue, and if it doesn't find a way to hook you, like it doesn't have all its balls on in the on the quarter or all its eggs in the basket or whatever to to hook you right away, it needs that time yeah, to develop. The, but the you read the first the issue, and you're like ah, yeah. Well, t- even not like the first issue. If I decide like okay, I'm gonna start picking this up. Like even if the first issue hooks me, like cool, I'm totally in on this. Uh, let's use. Like I'm just gonna totally make up a, a book here. Uh, we're gonna call it uh, West of East. There was a book out there called West of East, and I read the first issue, and I'm like, "This is totally cool." And then I read like the next couple, and I'm like, "Awesome!" But then like it starts taking a couple months for issues to come out, and I pick it up, and there's so many storylines, or I'm like reading so much other stuff, and like you're saying, like Batman, uh, Spider-Man, Superman, they're all kind of entrenched in our pop culture. Where everybody knows that Batman witnessed his parents being killed, uh, mm-hmm. and they know like, oh, he has a partner named Robin, uh, and you know, Superman, Last Son of Krypton, Spider-Man, uh, apparently a mass of spiders. I still don't get it. I don't. It's weird. Uh, but like these books, since like I don't have that knowledge just floating around, I have to keep track of all of it. And if I'm if it takes a couple months for it to come out, it's you know, it's not priority slotted like some of these character names are going to fall away and then suddenly we're following this obscure character from two issues ago and i'm like wait what's what's going on so like you know reading it then in those big chunks uh okay i don't really remember his name but oh someone's gonna say it and then he's important in the next issue and like it feels like a more cohesive story yeah east of or west of east of west as an example (laughs) is 
It's east of west, not west of east. I know. East, by I'm, the way. I'm, oh, okay. I was okay. Joking. Oh, okay. Just want to make sure. Um, and I feel like there's a book that if I and I I, I want to say I will, but obviously there's so much other stuff out there to read. <laughs> First world problems. That it's like hard to say. Like, oh yeah, I'm gonna go back and read this all in like one big sitting. Like what's out so far to feel refreshed. But, oh, but there's but, so much out so far. You know, in 24 issues, it feels such like a dense... It's only 24 one, issues? It's like 24, 25 in, issues. In my head, we're there. on issue 206. It, I guess that's the, the how dense of a read it is. But yeah. it's it's like you know there's a good story in here. You know that you've been picking it up and reading it issue to issue for a reason. But at the same time, you're like, ask me what happens and I have no idea. I mean, yeah, there's, there's very few storylines I can really describe. And there's about... So that's 24 issues. There's probably 57 different storylines going on. Yeah. Any and that's and that's not to say that it's a bad book. It's a good book, but it is, like you said, it's, it's just very – issue to issue dense. book. Yeah. Uh, one, one last note uh, before we move on with the, uh, the Image Expo. Remember I mentioned uh, Nathan Fairbairn earlier? Yeah. Uh, the colorist for Wonder Woman Earth One. Yeah. Also colorist for the Pax Americana issue. Uh, and Batman Incorporated, so a very long collaborative with Morrison. Well, he's apparently now... Mm, I think he's writing he's, one of the I'm books. Saying he's right, I was going to say writing, but they call it co-creating. Uh, so it's co-creators, Nathan Fairbairn, and I really love that he's credited with Scott Pilgrim and Batman Incorporated uh, and Matt Smith uh, for Lake of Fire, you know... Blah blah blah, demons chasing a knight on a horse. Uh, no, like it looks, it looks interesting, but it's just, I think it's funny that a colorist is now writing, and that's Respect. not to say that they can't. Good for him for branching out and trying new things. Hope it's uh, successful for him. But I think he's stalking me vis-a-vis -vis his works of art. Mm -hmm. Well, yeah, Image Expo, lots of cool stuff. Go seek it out. Find out what the heck is going on. Hey, Nick, have you ever read The Boys? No, I have, I think, the entire collection on Humble Bundle, though. <laughs> Are you, but you're aware The Boys is a thing. Yeah, yeah, The Boys. Uh, did you know that Seth Rogen and Evan Goldberg, the geniuses behind works like The Interview and uh, what was the other one they listed in this article here? Uh, Super bad. The interview and this is the end are teaming up to create uh, the boys on Cinemax. For those unfamiliar with the boys, it is a story about a world where there's superheroes, and uh, they, here's the short of it: Garth Ennis hates superheroes, and so in this book, superheroes are all super dicks. Uh, and the CIA creates a team to start handling them, a.k.a. killing them, and it's very dirty and violent and horrifying, uh, and you have to be of a very specific mindset, a.k.a. someone who loves Garth Ennis, to really dig into it. Uh, but the people behind the interview, and this is the end, and Preacher on AMC, are bringing the boys to Cinemax. They probably try to pitch it to AMC... And they were like, no, no, no. Thanks, though. Uh, well, uh, isn't it? Isn't Preacher going to be on AMC? It is, but I'm I mean, saying the boys is way If Preacher didn't Preacher. offend AMC, I don't know how the boys could. Uh, have you, you haven't read the boys. 
The Boys is rough. Like, I'm saying oh, violence. Violence-wise, violence and sex-wise, and sex aside from that really weird issue of Preacher where they're at that sex party, uh, The Boys is worse. Interesting. Uh, but that is a thing that's coming. And, uh, man. It's coming for you. It's, I mean, this is becoming a big thing. All these comic book TV shows that aren't just superheroes. We're going to have Preacher by the fall. I can't remember the premiere date. Uh, June, we're going to have Outcast. Did you see It's the... already listed for a second season. Is it? Good lord. I think so. I thought I saw something I think that's also on Cinemax. Did you see the preview? No. They look good? Yeah. I mean, there's definitely deviations, which is fine, considering it's only on issue 17, and the story can definitely be condensed quite a bit. Mm -hmm. I'll be curious to see what they do. I mean, I feel like there's times where the comic is taking too damn long to get to the point. So, we'll see. We, we shall see. Shall see. Here we, we go. go. Uh, Nick, anything else you want to talk about here? As we're no. Down? Uh, um, uh, oh, uh, uh, Valiant uh, Entertainment's um, Faith, uh, the yes. heavyset uh, flying hero from the uh, Harbinger series. The Zephyr. Uh, she, she, is, um, she has, a, I guess, a well-received miniseries that's been going on, and now she's been announced as having her own ongoing in July. Very cool. So great for, for Faith that a carry like that's getting a lot of positive buzz and the creative teams are really building her up and she's kind of branching out from the other characters. Yeah, um, yeah I, haven't, I haven't read the book, but I've read the miniseries, but people who have are big fans. Um, Valiant's interesting because, like, for example, they announced the end of XO Mana War uh, after, I think, 50 issues. Uh, they, you know, they ended Archer and Armstrong after 25 issues. But like, there's a new Archer and Armstrong series coming back, so I feel like with these characters, they do set them up in a way where like they say ongoing, but like they do like they kind of let them run their natural course, and like they'll reboot them or relaunch them, you know, down the road. Like I think it'd been a while before until um, between the last Archer and Armstrong series and this new one, so like they gave it some time to just kind of like fade, and then boom, they bring it back. So. Uh, I mean, Faith gets an ongoing. Who knows how long it lasts? Hopefully it lasts as long as it's required to tell a good story. Um, and I don't really know where I'm going with this, but I just kind of pointing out the balance, um, the, their method of publishing, I thought, I think is interesting. It's not so much different from Marvel, but it's not just like, all right, this book went for five issues. Let's relaunch it. This book went for 12 issues. Let's relaunch it. Like, like they at least, it sounds like they at least for most series go like 25 issues if they can make it. And then they... I mean go from there 25 issues is a good run that's you know two just over two years yeah no, i mean good for them yeah good for them uh other than that i guess the other big thing was that marvel had been releasing their dead no more teasers for uh, spider-man let's i have a, i've got a lot to say about that all right start well i mean i don't know i i okay so i don't have as much to say about it it's just kind of like oh really like that i, I, I just like I look at the teasers and I just feel fatigued just like right off the bat. Um, especially cause this is going to be clone saga part two because we have the jackal 
uh, being reintroduced here in those. The jackal's coming back. Yeah. Where'd you get the jackal? Dude, have you not have you not seen these these dead no more teasers? I saw them. I don't remember seeing the jackal. Besides, the jackal was has already been back multiple times. Doesn't mean that he's not going to be. Uh... I mean, there's one like he's the guy in a red suit with like a jackal-y head. That's not the jackal. It's the jackal. It's a jackal-like character. Okay. It doesn't mean it's the jackal. This okay. is a character that's bringing people back to life. They're, I don't think they're supposed to be clones. Uh, okay. Well, what does it say about him? That you have to follow what he says or... Ah, man, I thought I would find it. Um, like, this guy has control over all of these people, whoever they may be. It just seems like... I think it's going to be clones, man. I think it's going to be clones. That will be interesting, if so. Because, okay, if it's not clones, is he really bringing back uh, Doc Ock? Is he really bringing back Uncle Ben? Is he really bringing back the Punisher's family? All right, well, first off, Doc, um, we, we don't know how they're being brought back yet. The Doc Ock has been, te- like, Doc Ock is alive. He's currently, his mind's been downloaded into the robot called the Brain. Right. Um, so, I mean, like he's, he's coming back no matter what, um, so far in the current Amazing Spider-Man series, they've been teasing this guy with the, in the red suit where he's like brought back the rhino's, um, wife or girlfriend or whoever she was. Um, uh, and they teased someone else, but now I can't remember. Oh, uh, the, the, the lizards, um, um, family that he like ate or killed or whatever. (laughs) One of those two. I mean, if they got eaten, they got killed. And if they got killed, he may or may not have eaten them. Um, anyway, there's a lot going on. It's hard to say for sure where this, I mean, besides the fact that people are coming back to life, like the story could go in any which way direction. Like is uncle Ben, if he does come back going to stay dead also, like it's hard to tell that is uncle Ben or they Dan Slott also it's, said it could be Ezekiel. Oh, that's uncle Ben. Come on. That's probably uncle Ben. Gwen Stacy would be something. She's noticeably like she's separate from those sort of, We'll call them normies in the left-hand corner of the teaser. And uh, Ben, or it's Ben Riley, right? We got some Scarlet Spider action. No, the the, well, the Scarlet Spider, but that's Kane. Oh right, who thought... was who's been killed like twice in the last ten years? Like uh, uh, it's gonna be, back. it's gonna be clones, man. Mm, Mar- Marvel so. comes back to everything. I don't know. I like that the Prowler is in there because he's been sort of like uh, a duplicate Spider-Man. Whenever Peter needs to explain away the fact that him and Spider-Man aren't the same, aren't the same person. I mean, at the end of the day, what we win is some deliciously good-looking art because Jim Chung is Jim Chung. is the one drawing it, and he always delivers. So, I mean. I'm already reading the book, so I'm going to end up reading it, and uh, I hope it's a good story. I mean, and... like, it is like it is really cool. You know, I'm looking at the full teaser image all pieced together. It is like really, really cool looking. It, it just it it's an event book, and those are, you know, I'm I'm so wary of event books, especially with Spider-Man, because, uh, man, there's been some bad ones, and I don't know. I don't know why this one like there's I think there's going to be some really cool elements of it but they're going to be clones. There really has been a bad Spider-Man event since the other well, well, the other the other which was like pre-civil war. Uh well, oh yeah because uh 
uh, I can't remember the name of it. Die another day is what I want to call it, but that's not correct. One more. At all. Okay, sorry, sorry. So one more day. First, I mean, yes, there's a bad event, but I mean, um, and uh, man, Spider Verse was a steaming pile of crap. I like Spider Verse. I just wanted to see what you would say if I said that. Oh, did did I deliver? Nah. Yeah. Sorry. So okay, so I mean, obviously, we're going to talk about this all when it when it comes out uh, in the next few months. Yeah, okay, that, you know, yeah, it's fine. It's fine. It's fine. It's a thing. It's happening. But obviously, people are going to be excited about it. I'm not. That's just life, you know? I've learned to live with it. Have you? Have you learned to live with life? Uh, before we get on to our recommendations, I'll just mention that Warner Brothers has moved Wonder Woman up from June 23rd, 2017 to June 2nd, uh, which means we get Wonder Woman sooner, so I'm all for that. Mm-hmm. And still a summer movie. Still very excited about it. Cool beans. Nick, as we get to our recommendations, uh, I'd like to remind everybody that... You're just a dick. Why don't you go ahead and recommend something to us? Uh, thanks for starting out the recommendations, David. Uh, you want me to go? I, I'll go. Yeah, you, you, need, you, you, need, some, you need some you time. You like doing this stuff. You need so, some I mean, time like... to go through your crap? Yeah. You I what you're going to recommend? Uh, well, I was going to, like, originally, I was like, cool, Wonder Woman Earth 1's out. I'm going to recommend that after I read it. And then I read it, and I was like, ah, I can't recommend that to everybody. Uh, it is, I still think, you know, you should read it. But um, what I'm going to, you know, what I'm going to recommend instead is something that I uh, read over the weekend, which was Rat Queens Volume 1. Uh, I was able to pick this up for pretty cheap. And if you don't know Rat Queens, it is a fantasy story uh, set in a very, very Dungeons and Dragons world where it very much feels like this is a Dungeons and Dragons campaign. Uh, you, it is starring, I want to make sure I get the number right, four uh, women. You have, uh, I think, you know, you have your various mix of races. You have a human, one's an elf, one's uh, a dwarf, and one's a smidgen, which is totally not a gnome. Uh, and a smidgen, a smidgen, uh, and you know they're of course having wacky Dungeons and Dragons adventures. Actually, I, I, re I really like how the story was set up. Uh, where it starts out and there's different adventuring parties all in this city and the Rat Queens are kind of on the shit list and oh. they get uh, kind of dealt a crappy uh, a crappy job that's not going to have a big payoff. And when they go to do it, they find out it's all been a setup for something else and not just their job, but all of the other adventuring parties. And it kind of sets off that there's a big conspiracy going on you know, they kind of think they wrap things up and everything's going to be okay, but it's totally not. So as far as a first story arc goes, it it's really well done uh, that it, it tells its contained story, but mm. also sets stuff up that it's going to, you know, you, you know how things are going to continue from there. Uh, but you don't know what exactly is going to happen. So I am now I'm like, well, now I have to read the second volume. You know, I'm invested enough. Uh, I, I like the characters generally. There are definitely are times where it's very, very tropey. Um, 
and I, I should probably name who uh, who's behind this, who's on art and then writing it and all that jazz. Uh, so Rat Queens, Volume 1, Sass and Sorcery. Uh, as the image website loads, uh, written by Curtis J. Weeb, art by Rock Upchurch, covered by Fiona Staples. Because that's how they're going to sell you is a Fiona Staples cover. Um, it's uh, it's 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 fun overall. I would say, I I don't think it's the greatest thing that I've ever read, but I don't see. Uh, you know, I wasn't offended by it. Um, and there's definitely times where I laughed and, and thought it was a good time. There's times where I thought they leaned a little too hard on, on some of their tropes. But it's a fantasy Dungeons & Dragons story. Like, that's going to happen. Mm-hmm. Uh, the art overall good, but there's panels where it varies, where it's suddenly, like, super detailed. And then, like, the next panel, it's kind of, like, pulled out, and it's very sketchy. And I don't know if that was maybe some art constraints or what. Um, but it's a little bit uneven in that, uh, respect, but as an entire package, uh, it does work and it's, it's a fun book. So, uh, Rat Queens, volume one, Sass and Sorcery. Uh, I recommend that before you play Tomb Raider Definitive Edition, on the PlayStation 4 and also I think the Xbox One. Read up on it because there are some serious bugs in this game and I lost my whole file and I'm still upset with it. And now I'm trying to slowly work back through it, but my heart's just not in it. Yeah, and, and even though this bug was known for the past two years, nothing How was done on it. patched it? They never patched it. So that is just, that's just shitty. That is just, that is the absolute shit. So I recommend that everyone send hate letters to Crystal Dynamics. I can't. I can't. Nope. Can't. We do, we do not support that. Don't. I mean, just literally send flaming bags of turns. <laughs> no, don't do not do that. But I mean, just like, I mean, I don't expect anything to happen if it hasn't happened in two years. I think people are already past this game, you know, that all that. But, but just the fact that it, you know, it's still going on, just really all kinds of stinks. So, well, that's. Uh, I sorry. recommend that you apparently have to do your homework now. Be honest, just find out if the game's good or not. You have to find out if it's going to crash on you and destroy all your progress. So, I recommend being armed with knowledge today, also because I haven't really read a lot of stuff. <sighs> you you read so much stuff, but not like in, not like recently. Not uh, not not recently. No. What am I gonna do with you? I'm trying. Like it's like since I got the PlayStation Four, now it's like okay, do I read comics or do I play video games? Uh, and and look, man, you get you got no excuse. I have a PlayStation Four. Yeah, but you're like you you're like used to this. Like I'm uh, that's not. That's true. Video games are kind of a new thing for you to suddenly have in your wheelhouse. Yeah, and I'm like, like I sit down, and it's like, well, like I have this. Can this wait? And it's just, I don't know, man. Yeah. I recommend finding more time. Stop, stop recommending concepts. Uh, <laughs> I'm, I'm rereading American Gods right now. Okay, <laughs> apparently Nick finds that to be hilarious. Oh uh, my god, I'm dying. Finally, American Gods. Oh, if you died on this show. People would like, we would have so many people listening to be like, 
here on the Heck Yeah Comics podcast, somebody died during it, and they I, still put it out. <laughs> you still put, David, I want to let you know, if I ever do die during the recording of this show, I want you to put the recording up. Uh, all right. Like, that's my only wish. <laughs> that's your only, man. All right. Dibs on all your stuff. Everything else can be donated. Dibs on all your stuff. Uh, and it can be donated, too. Just to, you know, <laughs> if, we're, if we're going by olden days, she's clearly property. So wow. Like, I don't wow. obviously think that. You make it sound like I believe it. Uh, I, apparently, you do believe it. I don't. I, it was a joke, guys. It was a joke. It was a joke. Woman on property. Right. I've never like reread a book, though, before. So rereading uh, American Gods is, like feels kind of weird. But I found out. Uh, that Neil Gaiman is writing a sequel, and I'm super jazzed about that. He is doing a sequel. He well, he talked about it a couple of years ago, and I figure like the guy's busy, so he hasn't said he's not working on it anymore. He's like written a couple stories uh, in that world still, and the TV show is like well underway. Like they've cast a bunch of the major parts. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I am so jazzed right now. I'm all about American Gods. American Gods is this book that I've been trying to complete since high school. Like, I've given it to other people to read, and they've read it, and it's come back to me. Yeah. And I always get to, like, the stuff right around when he's staying with the funeral parlor. Ah, oh, that part's so great. And then I stop. Ah, oh, that's unfortunate. And I don't know why. It's not like I'm reading it, and I'm like, all right, I'm done. But I've, like, picked it up twice, started from the beginning twice. And gone to just about that point, and then for some reason put the book down. Like, I just can't. I started reading yesterday. I'm 150 pages in already. See, I don't know how you guys do it. Is it is it my attention span? Is it too short? Like, I've... Nick, we don't have the time to talk about your like, shortcomings. The, the last book that I read was The Martian, and I guess I more or less breezed through it. But like, I try to read other <laughs> books, and if it doesn't immediately hook me... Let's just say that Amer- like, obviously American Gods hooked me enough that I got halfway through the book. But I don't know, man. Like... I think comic books are right in my brain. I think that guy was right in Seduction of the Innocent. I think I'm kind of like a, a hoodlum now, a miscreant. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of the Heck Yeah Comics Podcast. You can, of course, find out more about the show by going to heckyeahcomics.com. You can write into us with any of your thoughts. You can tell us what you're looking forward to about the new image books coming out uh, by shooting us an email at heckyeahcomics at gmail.com. Or just tell us how your day went. We're curious. We're good listeners. Uh, you can also follow us on Twitter at Heck yeah Comics. You can follow me on Twitter at DavLuz, that is D-A-V-L-U-Z. And you can find Nick uh, attempting to read books but forgetting what words are because all them bright, colorful pictures have slowly turned him into a Neanderthal. Ah. If you enjoyed the show, then please tell your friends. And if you hated it, then please tell your enemies. Until next time, good bye. Ever.